When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, we are back for the fourth podcast wow. for Toronto Basketball Matters. I can't believe. Let's give ourselves a little uh, round of applause. You know? I can't believe we've we've actually stuck with it. We've we've made it to number four. Um, so, just want to give a shout out to Javon last week. You know, for joining us in the conversation. Javon, Javon, um, you know, check him out for BTB Basketball. Um, you know, one of the more promising, I guess, high school coaches. Um, in Toronto right now, you know, hopefully we'll be speaking with him in the future, as well as a litany of other, you know, amateur coaches throughout the city. Good community guy. Exactly. Um, so, so I'm going to start off today with not Raptors talk, but a little interesting game last night between the Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers. The game was painted as the number one contender, the top seed in the Eastern Conference. Ha! The Battle of Goliaths, the Boston Celtics versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, that's David versus Goliath. What did I say? The Battle of Goliaths. The Battle of Goliath. But no, that's I'm, how it was painted. It was. I, I'm, 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 re, I'm making my own version of the Bible right now. So, continuing this conversation, uh, what are your takeaways from this? Clearly a dominant performance in Cleveland. Clearly they have a second gear. What does this make you feel as a Raptors fan? Well, past... You know what it makes me feel like as a Raptors fan, just as a, as an NBA fan and uh, sports speculator. Uh, it was great to see LeBron give a fuck and come out and play like he does. I mean, look, the, Cleveland doesn't have the star power. Uh, sorry, Boston doesn't have the star power to compete with Cleveland. Everybody knew that. I never had a doubt in my mind about whether or not Cleveland would retake first place. And they showed why they're the team to beat. Uh, LeBron James absolutely dominated the Celtics. They do not have the physicality to contend with LeBron defensively, nor do they have the offense to put up 120, which is what you need to beat Cleveland, because they're going to score. And you got to be able to score too. Now, to your point, what does this mean for the Raptors? I don't think too much, because, I mean... Look, the Raptors, they know that Cleveland has another gear. They experienced it. But the truth is, Cleveland has more than just another gear. They have a gear for every series. They gear up. By the time they hit the finals, they're playing at you know a few levels above where they are right now. Uh, does Boston have another gear? No. Uh, do the Raptors? I think so. And one of the reasons for that is because you have superstars that can switch it on and off like we saw last night 
with Kyle Lowry against Detroit. Something snapped in his head, and he's like, no, 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 we're not losing this game. As Leo Routens would call him, he's a, a generational talent. Right. It's like right? a late-season mental adjustment. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to team defense, we're going to ratchet up a notch come playoff time, and you're going to see truly elite defense. But also, offensively, that's something where when you talk about raising a level, that's an individualistic piece. And that's why what you saw out of LeBron last night, he said that that game didn't matter. If it didn't matter, why did you come out with such a dominating, focused performance? Or why did he play in the first place? (laughs) Yeah, right? Why weren't you resting? See, the biggest takeaway for me from this game was just the fact that, you know, Cleveland didn't have Tristan Thompson playing that game. You know, Celtics typically are known not for their rebounding, and just still, they were so physically dominant in the post. Having LeBron at the floor, it just makes me think that Cleveland may potentially have another gear beyond what we saw last night. Yeah, and that's my point. They, that's not even the worst of what they can put on you. Uh, they're so talented, right? Like, the defense has to collapse on LeBron. And when you do that, you go, who are you going to leave open? Right? Kyrie Irving, J.R. Smith. Even Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver, my guys God. sharpshooters from the outside. Yeah, like, these are proven professional scorers that they've surrounded LeBron with. Look, the reason that the Raptors have a chance. Mm-hmm. And I say a chance, okay? Because, hey, when you go with the king, you best not miss, right? They are the champs until proven otherwise, okay? So the Raptors have a chance because we are able to throw bigger bodies at LeBron, okay? One, and again, I'm going to say it, Valanciunas is not an elite shot blocker, but he is one of the biggest people in the NBA, pound for pound, Right? He's a very physically He's imposing a presence. Huge in the post, guy. Sure. And when you add then Serge Ibaka and PJ Tucker or Damari Carroll, not to mention, and you know, I loved seeing Kyle Lowry on the court last night because it, it gave you uh, an actual reference then for what we could well, be. I think the biggest takeaway was We're the fact massive. that Kyle gelled so well with the new acquisitions during the trade deadline. Yeah, you know but just I mean? to the point though, in what you need to beat the Cavs, right. you need physicality. Okay, so you going, have to deter LeBron from wanting to penetrate. So going into that what we saw last night was, you know, an interesting performance of our wing guys. Uh, you this know, Damari Carroll the Raptors game. The Raptors game. Yes. Damari Carroll was essentially shut out of the fourth quarter. PJ Tucker came in and played the majority of the crunch time minutes. Mm-hmm. Where does this place Damari Carroll when it comes to our playoff lineup? Is he going to be part of the rotation or is he going to be relegated to the bench? What is no, he'll Damari start. Carroll's value right I now? I think he'll start. Uh, look, one of the you know a lot of people uh, have criticized Dwayne Casey. Right. The man uh, is, if nothing else, principled on the matter that I'm going to play the guys that are getting after it, I'm going to play the guys that are performing. If my key guys aren't performing, I'm not ego-stroking here. Mm -hmm. You sit on the bench, right, because this is a team. And as a team, it's all about the W. And, you know, if Carroll's playing good that game, I think he'll stay in. But I I think maybe you keep bringing Tucker off the bench. But you know what? Who knows? Maybe you bring Carroll off the bench. And he starts to to find his offense a little more because that second unit, they move the ball a little better. Right. And that's kind of what he needs is 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 ball movement in an offense. I think like he had in uh, in a, in Atlanta. No, that's a great point. I'm just trying to f- map out who we're gonna play come playoff time. You know, do 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 guys like Yakupodal, Delon Wright. I think Poto will you, play. Do you, do you think Poto will play? Well, look, 
what the Raptors are doing now with the lineups that they have is 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 getting ready for the playoffs, right? right? And that's why you know all these people were complaining about JV sitting before. Right. You know what? Casey was sending him a message, big man. If you don't bring it, every play, you're not gonna play. Always knowing, I think, that come playoff time, he was going to get him ready because in the playoffs, JV is huge. He was huge last year. You're right. He's going to be big again because of the style of playoff ball. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's why you've seen JV playing more as well. The, like My point is the lineups that you see now is 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 the the coaching staff of the Raptors sort of trying to to fit the pieces together and get some chemistry going. No, that's a great point. And again, like there's no one in the world who's more flippant on JV than myself. You know, there have been times where I've honestly felt that he's an integral part of the team. And there's other times where I've thought obviously the different. Coming into our first round matchup, it's looking mm-hmm. like we're playing the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. Think about having Jonas Valanciunas, you know, a big physically imposing center against a guy like Dwight Howard. We, it's necessary. Exactly. exactly. Right? Uh, and, and that's the thing, you know, listening to the, to the Bill Simmons um, podcast, right? when they were going over teams that that look like contenders and he brought up the Raptors and he says look they have different uh, ways that they can go out right they can play small ball play they can defense. play traditional yeah. right so many uh, different looks really. yeah and and one of them right is that when we play teams that have a dominant center like Dwight Howard mm-hmm. he may get his points right he may get maybe close to his rebounds but it's going to be hard you're not nothing's going to come easy Right, because right. you got a big body in there that's gonna bang away at you and make you work defensively. No, it's fantastic. Right? You know, Atlanta's offense typically runs through their big men. You know, Paul Millsap mm-hmm. and Dwight Howard. You know, having a physically sort of dexterous forward like Serge Ibaka to be able to guard like a superstar like Paul Millsap is a substantial advantage. That, for us, as well gonna, as having Tucker and Carroll switch off on him. You know, I don't think too be... many teams out there that that can provide those sort of defensive looks. Is it fair for me to make that assessment? Yeah, I I totally agree with that. It's what makes the Raptors so special. In fact, I love when Valanciunas and Tucker played together. Okay. They had a little play last night, and not even defensively. Um, and I want to get to the defensive point with Ibaka and Millsap because that's an amazing matchup for the playoffs. But when when it, Valanciunas and Tucker play together, and they uh, offensively have these sort of screen and roll situations between them, there's so much body between them, there's so much size, there's so much length of shoulder, oh, sorry, width of shoulder, that teams, they, they have trouble guarding it, right? And defensively, uh, when Tucker's out there, he kind of covers up for JV a bit, and he, and, he, and he gets him revved up. And I mean, look, man, I mean, they both got the head shaved, right? My girlfriend <laughs> is convinced it's, it's, it's because they did it together, and now they're buddies, you know? So I, I, like, the, I like the badass look. Another shout-out to JV for the Viking look. The Viking look. No, that's a fantastic point. I'm just trying to... The point about the Vikings? You know, just the, the Viking point. And um, beard. The beard. The, the masculine... Where is he? The, the Valanchunas beard. Um, sorry, the, going back in this matchup, though, I'm just trying to... You know, going down, if I'm going to notch a list, make comparisons across the board, point guard to point guard, shooting guard to shooting guard, small you're talking, forward to small You're talking forward. Atlanta versus the Raptors exactly. in the first round. How do we lose this series? Like, I just can't see us Choking. Losing this. Oh, my God. It's just... You know, look at Schroeder versus Lowry. Look at just Bazemore Schru- versus It's Schroeder. Schroeder, my apologies. So going Gotta back brush up on your German, night, I want to talk about uh, last night's game a little bit. Um, what was your sort of perception of DeMar DeRozan? Because, you know, Marcus, Marcus Morris did a fantastic job of guarding him last night, and he yeah. really was good Big, at paying heed to the, you know, yeah. the, the old school DeMar DeRozan pump fake uh, that a lot of defenders can't really deal with. 
But DeMar DeRozan found another sort of skill set in his repertoire, which is playmaking. You know, he was a fantastic yeah, he playmaker had, he had last night. Assists last night. What do you think of DeMar DeRozan's performance last night? And do you think he can build off that? Do you think he can develop into more of a playmaking point forward guard type of player? Or is he predominantly known, you know, as a slash and drive shooter type? No, I, um, I think that you're already seeing that. I think what you saw last night uh, is evidence of, 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 um, of growth on his part as a, as a player. Mm-hmm. He's been doing it more this season, trying to get others involved right. because he's seeing the double teams. Right, and now that we're a more talented team, like like the dagger three that Ibaka hit to win the game was a pass from Dero, yep. and that's a pass that you know if Patrick Patterson's sitting in that corner, I don't think he makes it. I think he makes even though Ibaka hasn't been shooting well, he still passed him that ball because he believed in him, right? He trusted in him, and it's easy to trust quality players. So I think what you're going to see in the playoffs when teams are collapsing on him, he's going to be more willing to move it and he's starting to to see it earlier. Right. I think, you know, I think the Kyle Lowry injury, I think there was a silver lining to this just for the fact that DeMar yes, there DeRozan was. could have an opportunity to be the man. And I think... To be the leader. You know, to, yeah. be, to be fair between us two, I think DeMar DeRozan proved that he is a top three shooting guard in the same conversation as a Clay Thompson, you know, Jimmy Butler, uh, Bradley Beal, what have you. Yeah, definitely. DeMar DeRozan's definitely ability to take over games top with five. Kyle Lowry not in the lineup was, at, like, blew me away. You know, I want to see what all-NBA selection he gets. Like, he was a starter in the All-Star game. He's had so many 40-point games. He's had arguably the best season in franchise history for the Raptors. No, that's a fantastic point. We're going to move on a bit um, to a little fiasco earlier last week. We love fiascos. Uh, you know, I am the fiasco king. I love the—I'm uh, the, the, gonna. I'm a hot take artist. That's a complete lie. Hot take. <laughs> so Lance Stevenson is back in the NBA. He's born, ready. born ready. Born ready. Born ready. Three-year contract with the Indiana Pacers, which I found sort of interesting because the guy was not was released out of his what ten-day contract like a month ago with the Minnesota Timberwolves. So going into this, Lance Stevenson last ten seconds of the game, a little bit of a blowout. Raptors were losing that game. The Raptors lost that yeah. game. Yeah. And Lance decided to shoot a layup with about ten seconds left. Obviously, the team was riled up. P.J. Tucker lost his mind, and that for a sliver of a moment, I thought Lance Stevenson's life was in jeopardy. DeMar DeRozan, <laughs> after the game, was clearly upset about this. You know, mm. DeMar DeRozan, a little bit reserved in emotion, was clearly pissed off the fact that Lance went for that layup. What is your perception of this? Because mm-hmm, I looked mm-hmm, at tape today, mm-hmm, and I looked mm-hmm. at another game where Norman Powell, the last 10 seconds of the game against the 76ers, yeah. Raptors were blowing out the 76ers, and Norman Powell didn't go for a layup. He went for a 360 dunk, okay? So why the fuck are we pissed off if we're allowing our own players to do that in the past? Are we being hypocritical? Are we making exemptions because of Lance Stevenson's character? What is this issue, Greg? What does this issue stem from, Greg? Well, f- well first of all, let's come clean here. Lance Stevenson posted that Norman Powell comparison. That was on social media because of Lance Stevenson. Rightfully so, though. Yeah, yeah. now hold on. Let's just give credit to Born Ready, right? Uh, Secondly, it was not a 360. It was a windmill. Potato, potato. It was a very flashy dunk at the end of the game. And third, (laughs) and, 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 and I get the comparison. I get the comparison. It's a good one. The difference is we are not the Philadelphia 76ers. The the Philadelphia 76ers are a joke in the NBA and deserve to get treated as such. 
The Raptors are a deep respect. That's not fair to say. You're saying the guys on the Philadelphia hey, 76ers sports, don't hey, deserve There's nothing respect? fair about professional sports. Okay? There's nothing fair. I'm just saying from the Raptors' perspective, it's about respect. Yeah, but those guys on the 76ers show up every single day. Do they show up to practice? Do they show up to every game? Do they go to on every single flight? Like, are, they are they a 50-win team? It doesn't matter. Uh, I, that, There's look, a tone of respect amongst players in the NBA. You're absolutely right. But you can't pick and choose the team because they're the bottom feeders or the bottom of the barrel of the league. Hey, you know, I don't even think the layup was that big a deal. For, for Lance born ready Stevenson. Okay, you gotta imagine what kind of night. And by the way, his energy won the Pacers that game. I think. I, I think without Lance, he he really he really brought something to that team. Lance they, is they a fantastic desperate. basketball player in the right situation. Like the same conversation could be said about Draymond Green. Okay, this I, I may be speaking. I asked for a second, but if you put Draymond Green on any other organization, maybe a bottom feeder in the NBA, if you threw him on the Orlando Magic, mm-hmm. would Draymond Green be the same player he no. is today? Same thing could be said about Lance Stevenson. He, maybe yeah. the system in Indiana, I can't put a finger on it exactly, but maybe just the system or the culture yeah. facilitated yeah. by Larry Bird, I you think, know, pushes yeah. Lance Stevenson to be the player he can possibly be. Because you saw what happened to him as soon as he left that organization. He hit the yeah. bottom of the yeah. Um, Sorry, I keep saying bottom of the barrel. <laughs> no, you're right. I think there's something to him playing in Indiana, and that's why I mean, for me, uh, I can, I can actually say it's not that big a deal because I'm happy for actually Lance Stevenson. He takes a lot of crap, and rightfully so. I mean, he acts like a like a dingus, but um, I didn't think it was too big a deal, mind you. If you're the Raptors, hey, take exception to it if you want. And and as a fan of the Raptors, I actually like that they feel that they are a group to be respected. Do you right? think Do you think DeMar DeRozan and the team would be that pissed off if they didn't have the new additions like P.J. Tucker, like Serge Ibaka, like these big brutes, these guys that can obviously throw down? We have more of a chip on our a shoulder. Do voice on the court because of this sort of, I wouldn't say a safety net, but you know the insurance that if shit hit the fan, we've got a couple guys on our roster that can deal with any situation. From the wise words of Warren G, regulate. <laughs> yeah, I think the Raptors are now the toughest team in the NBA. And... I think little skirmishes like that can be a good thing for a team seeking to solidify an identity. And, you know, like I said, man, it's about respect. And the Pacers, right, the Pacers are a team that in the past, I think, when they were beating us, maybe didn't show that kind of respect. And the Raptors feel as if they should be showing it. As They're like rivals after that playoff series, right? right? So it doesn't take much. Doesn't take much to get old DeRozan ready to go, and I like that. So I'm going to diverge a little separate from Raptors talk, but I was watching the Pacers play the Cleveland Cavaliers last week. Obviously, the biggest takeaway from that game was the LeBron James, you know, Thompson spat on the on the side. You know, obviously yeah. there's a little bit of issue of communication, yeah, what have you. But the thing that blew me away, and everyone overlooks the fact that Paul George, in my opinion, is still a top 10 dominant forward in the NBA. You love Paul George. Just the way he played with LeBron. You know what I mean? I I don't see LeBron guard superstars too many times. You know what I mean? Like, LeBron typically, you know... Paul George took it to him that game. Paul George looked like the Paul George we knew a couple years ago. Paul George is the same Paul George, but he's not playing the way he can play... On this Indiana Pacers he team, doesn't you have look the at su- the organization, you look at on paper how great that team could be mm-hmm. and just how poorly 
you know, I wouldn't say assemble, but poorly they gel. Like they just don't have any cohesion as a unit. And it just blew me away that Paul George is still Paul George. And I just, one of my favorite players in the NBA. I digress. I'm going to go on a different topic right now. No, I'd like to, I'd like to. No, 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 no. I think you're, I think you're right to see his, his talent, both offensively and defensively. I think what really made him uh, special when in those older Indiana teams was that he was surrounded by Stevenson, West, Hibbert at the time. That's a great uh, point right there, West. Yeah, no. You know, but, we're talking about P.J. Tucker, Serge Ibaka, yeah. well, specifically P.J. Tucker. You know, a good vocal leader, a big physical strong presence in the locker room. You know, maybe David West was that guy who pushed him on a daily basis mm. to be the best Paul George he could be. Yeah, and 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 – Again, you mentioned Indiana, Larry Bird. You know, they, they they fired their coach to bring in a more tough, a hard-nosed coach right. in Nate McMillan, right? Um, that's not necessarily Paul George's approach to the game, but I think if you surround him with the right pieces, they become more dangerous. But you're right, for different reasons, he just doesn't have enough support on that team. But he is certainly an elite talent. Mm-hmm. I think I just think when people talk about flipping Paul George, for example, or trading Jimmy Butler, I'm just envisioning myself as a GM for both those organizations and thinking to myself, like when I drafted these guys, they weren't superstars. I'm not drafting a LeBron James, a Derrick Rose, a yeah. Kevin Durant, the next one. Yeah. You know, these are guys that were developed within the organization who became who they were under the guidance of the coaches, management, and the players, what have you. And personally for myself, if I'm in that situation, I would not trade those guys. You invest so much time toward developing these specific talents. Like like when I saw Kawhi Leonard come in the NBA, you know, did you ever think – for a second, that Kawhi Leonard would be who he is today when he got traded for George Well, Hill. no, but but I was questioning Spurs, that trade when it the happened. The Spurs did because of their intelligence work, uh, their intel, their research. Looking at him, they saw something in him uh, that that no one else saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I don't even think that they thought that he would be this good offensively. But but they saw his potential as a defensive stopper, right? No, for sure. Um, so we're going to transition to Gregory's favorite part of the show, a little Q&A. Oh, I love these. Okay, well, we're going to start off right now. Greg, you are Danny Ainge on the Boston Celtics. You know, Isaiah would... Thomas, after this year, has one year left in his contract. Boston might get the number one overall pick this year in the draft. Isaiah Thomas most likely will command a max, max contract, contract upwards of five years, $200 million, $40 million per year. Do you trade Isaiah Thomas in this offseason and draft his replacement, or do you keep Isaiah Thomas and both potential Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball? What do you do in that situation? Because do you want to resign Isaiah Thomas and handicap your team of filling other roster spots like forward, power forward, what have you, your bench? Or do you entrust the offense into a young point guard like Lonzo Ball or Markel Fultz, who many consider to be some of the most transcendent rookies coming in the league? Yeah, you got to resign. Isaiah Thomas, just because of the year he's had and how he's sort of revitalized Celtic basketball. If you bring in one of those guys, you, you put him uh, as an off guard or a backup to Isaiah. Um, maybe you don't sign him for five years. Like, if he wants a five-year contract, maybe you say, hey, we'll give you two. 
I'm thinking right? 34-year-old Isaiah Thomas is not going to be 29-year-old Isaiah Thomas. No, that's Undersized what I mean. Point guard I wouldn't has handicap myself. That, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't sign him five years. I'd try to work something out that's more reasonable. I don't think they're going to have that option. I think Isaiah Thomas will command a max contract. I think some team will throw that contract out there. He will be like he will be, you know, a sought-after free agent for sure when his contract runs up. The guy's averaging 30 points per game. How many 30-point players in the NBA are there? Yeah, you're. Uh, I mean, you're right there. I also think he's a huge defensive liability, though. Right. Like, like anybody. I mean, there was a game where the Raptors played the Celtics, and DeRozan just shot over him. He didn't even jump. But if we're living in a league where people are having conversations about offering max contracts to guys like Otto Porter Jr. and Tim Hardaway, Tim Hardaway. I, I, I yeah. Absolutely. Who's offering Tim Hardaway forty million dollars? Tim a Hardaway year? will make at least twenty to twenty-five million dollars next year. I promise you that. His skill set, his defensive acumen, and his three-point shot are two skill sets that are rampant in the NBA that are necessary to excel as a team. Tim Hardaway Jr. on paper isn't the sexiest player in the NBA. On the court, he isn't the sexiest player in the NBA. But what he can bring to a team's offense. What do you mean that name is sexy? Ugh. It's a basketball sexy. Moving on, uh, you are Brian Colangelo of the Philadelphia 76ers. You have the fourth overall pick. You lose out the top three. Uh, uh, Fultz is gone. Lonzo Ball has gone. Josh Jackson has gone. And you have the second tier of point guards. You got guys like uh, Deron Fox. You got guys like um, Frank Nikina, whatever the hell his name is, Dennis Smith Jr. of North Carolina State. What I do you think... do in that situation? Do you draft a point guard with a fourth pick, or do you draft a guy like Malik Monk and entrust the offense to run through Ben Simmons, who many pander as a point forward? Do you think Ben Simmons next year can facilitate the Philadelphia 76ers offense, or should they go in this draft thinking that they need to draft a point guard? Or well, should they grab a shooter like Malik Monk? Well, they might need to get a big man to replace Embiid if he can't play basketball. Like, he's played half a year in oh, three don't seasons. don't do that to me, Greg. I'm just saying Greg Oden, right? Look, uh, again, Ben Simmons, I mean, theoretically, no, you shouldn't draft another point guard. But that said, there's some. Look, there's something to be said about drafting for talent. You go with the best player that's in the draft. It depends, like, as a franchise that's trying to build – Right, you just want to ma- accumulate as much assets as you can. If it's a team that's trying to contend for a championship, and you're looking to tweak, and you need you, you know, you say, hey, you know what, we need a guy off the bench to play this position, then you can start to to, to draft for a position. And and honestly, if I could get Fox, I would get Fox. I he he outplayed your boy Ball when he, when they went head to head badly. When, when was Lonzo Ball ever my boy? <laughs> like he, I thought he was your boy, man. Lavar Ball is my boy. No, my boy is Markel Fultz. I think he is by far the best player in this NBA draft. The whole thing with me, you're gonna put Ben Simmons on the court with maybe Dario Saric, uh, Covington. Who um, plays two guard for for the Sixers? Exactly. No, but you could put one of those guys as two guard. Who can play two guard out of the names I just said? But the, the way that the game is they, played If you now, draft Deron Fox, Deron Fox has no outside shot whatsoever. You're literally going to assemble a rotation of players who have no outside shot. You're going to replicate the Chicago Bulls this year. And what happened to Chicago Bulls when they went into the season with Rajon Rondo and Dwayne Wade as their starting guards? Complete catastrophe. The team needs to draft a shooter. And I think Malik Monk at number four might be a stretch. Maybe the conversation we should be having is trading down. But I think with the Philly, what the Philadelphia 76ers currently have assembled, you got to draft Malik Monk. you got to shoot a guy that can have an outside shot. Or you're going to screw yourself. There's going to be incredible issues clogging the lane. You're not going to have any spread on your offense whatsoever. And like I mentioned before, it's going to be like the Chicago Bulls all over again. Yeah, you know what? You have a really good point. I think another option for them might actually be to 
trade a pick for a player that can bring some veteran leadership and and and, and impact to get some wins, man. Like they that that city doesn't deserve like that's a good basketball yeah, town, but you're, man. You're, they don't deserve another like lottery season. But making that trade though. Making that trade. Let's say they get the fourth pick. They I don't know what the young, market is for the They have enough young pick. talent. Do you think trading for a veteran right now will make that team a playoff contender? Because if they make that trade, they got to think for sure Embiid's healthy. With the healthy, team's good to go. With the healthy Simmons team. is a, a transcendent potential franchise-changing superstar. But they don't even have to make the playoffs. They just have to compete. Because the young look, young players need to start to understand what a winning professional culture is. And part of the problem with Philadelphia over the past few seasons is they've just been drafting all these one-and-done star players and brought them in, and there's no one mentoring them. That's why they have Elton Brand there doing that now, because there's no winning culture. I think Brett Brown, the head coach of yeah. the Philadelphia 76ers, is one of the best, if not the best coach to deal with the young talent. You know, you're absolutely right, 100%. There's no verbal leadership. There's no kind of quintessential leader like a P.J. Tucker we're talking about. The yeah, Rangers. someone that's you know, going to put don't them in like their place and make them earn. No, that's a great point. But I think you got you, you got to pay attention to the fact that maybe they're learning with each other. They're learning as a team. They're learning as a bunch of young guys who are going through a very similar No, experience. they're not. They're going out and getting into fights. You're talking like about Okafor. Okafor. No, no, but but that that's the kind of stuff. So you don't think from your experience coaching, because you are an expert in the subject well, way more than myself, you don't think a group of young guys who are all within the same age can learn from, you know, comparative experience? Well, again, when we're talking about learning how to win, you have to be around guys that have winning habits and learning how to be a professional that stuff, I mean, yeah, if they grow together, they're obviously going to get better together, and that's a great experience. But that guy who can set the example and, like, how to be a professional. Yeah, and right? how to be, dare I say, a man. Like, you know, George Carl's comments about AAU babies and, 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 and athletes um, coming into professional sports as, you know, they're almost teenagers, right? They're, they're youths. Uh, they, and they've had everything given to them because of their talent. You know, they got to learn to be responsible with that, right? How to be a grown-up. Well, and an you need that, grown-ups to teach you that. That's that, a great that, point. that doesn't that's come point. from learning with other boys in the in the locker room while they're all Snapchatting, you know, pictures of the girls they're with. That's that's a great point. And I'm going to kind of relate Thank to you. John Calipari on Kentucky. You know, you get guys like like selfless guys. Like, I, I've brought this up before, but getting a guy like Devin Booker, when he played for Kentucky, the guy was coming off the bench. You know, obviously growing up, Devin Booker probably was the best player on his high school team. Yeah. You know, getting kids to kind of embrace that adage, embrace the fact that, you know what, right now you're not a superstar like you were in high school, but you can be a contributing member of the organization. And getting Kentucky, getting a team where they obviously get the top-tier talent and, 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 and giving this philosophy or, you know, this, this mentality that, yeah, yeah. you know, we're going to work together as one cohesive unit. Yeah, that's what – look, that's the spirit of team sport. Mm -hmm. That's what wins championships, okay? The problem is the NBA is such a business and so driven by advertisers and – uh, using superstars to sell products uh, and and shoe brands that players themselves become a brand and they're so individualistic and mm -hmm. this is a problem right of uh, that, that that is deep in American culture too right so 
that's part of the reason why you have these players that are coming out that are almost uncoachable because they see themselves as celebrities and better than other people and they have no altruistic sense of attachment and empathy to others they just know i gotta work for myself and they feel entitled and yeah that's hard to coach and that's why a lot of coaches get fired because they can't connect with these guys no that's a reason why they stopped the straight from high school to the nba you look no, at like the i Kwame think they Bre- stopped that because the ncaa was losing money okay let's be uh, but- <laughs> i'm not gonna touch that topic but, uh, <laughs> um no no Kwame, I, I, but you say Kwame brown right right, right. isn't that a, that's an example of what we're talking about, right? He couldn't handle, right? He he had an opportunity of a lifetime. He was drafted by MJ. Right. And he couldn't handle MJ's criticism. Do you blame the kid, though? No, I, I never blame individual people. Like, do you blame for, Michael for, Jordan? Do you for, think he could have transitioned him to more... Well, no. Like, again, I'm not blaming... But Jordan is also a product of his environment, man. When Jordan was coming up, right, you, you had... Co- like... Hard-nosed coaches, like that was like in the Bobby Knight era, you know, where like coaches are, are are grabbing you and throwing chairs at you, and you know now you you can't coach a player in the same way, and players don't have the backbone because of it, because they they they've been you know um, sort of sort of propped up their whole youth career. They've never been challenged. I mean, this is that's pretty general, right? But that's one of the reasons why I don't think Kwame could take it, right? Right. How do you correct this, though? Like, in the NFL, for example, they have, what, minimum three years in college before they can get drafted. The NFL is, is no model. You're, you know, I agree, I agree. I'm just giving an example. What is your resolution to this? Two-year, three-year, four-year? <laughs> what would you do if you were in charge of the situation? I don't know what the position would be. <laughs> Again, I it's a very it's a problem that, like I said, this is this is something that, that is deep in, like, the sport media complex right. and, and American capitalism. I don't I don't have all the answers to that problem. I think one of the things you could do is probably have uh, the players union uh, hold like different kinds kinds of workshops and seminars for these young guys. Hey, this is how to invest your money. Hey, this is what your responsibility is to young people, right? You are a role model. That's right, Charles Barkley, you are a role model, right? Um, so sort of give them a better understanding that there's a world outside of them that they are intimately connected to. Right. Right. And that it is not all about you. Right. That's a fantastic. And that, like you say, you know, about teamwork like this basketball, as much as it does cater to individual talent and that's necessary and no one wants to take away an individual's creative uh, mark on the game. It is basketball is a huge team sport. It is. You're right. You're 100 percent right. It is a team sport, but in comparison to other no mainstream team, professional North American sports, there's no like like in the, in the NFL. You know what I mean? Like quarterbacks get more attention because they're the more sexier position, I guess. Yeah. NHL certain players kind of separate themselves from the pack, but I don't see in a sport like the NBA where there's a clear knit separation between the top tier and the bottom tier of the league, yeah. and everyone wants to be the man. Everyone but, wants to but be. But the, the league has done that through rule changes, like. That a lot, like if there was hand checking, Michael Jordan wouldn't be able to drive the lane so easy, mm-hmm. right? The league has 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 done things to showcase offensive talent, and it's made for a better, uh, in some ways, a better product to for the casual fan. Right. But like you say, on the other, uh, it's kind of given rise to the two, like you say, and also basketball in its in its nature by being able to hold the ball in your hand, 
the nature of the game is such that athleticism sort of wins over, right? Can you jump that high? Can you move that fast? In soccer, for instance, the ball is at your foot. It's much more of a finesse game. Mm -hmm. You have guys that aren't necessarily the best athletes. You know, Diego Maradona, right, was five foot six, little chunky guy. I'm sure a, a good, great athlete in his own way, but not a traditional elite athlete. And he's one of the greatest of all time, yeah, right? Lionel you, Messi you, is probably the greatest soccer player yeah. of all time. He's five foot seven. Yeah, right. Uh, but you know, uh, in the NBA, it's rare when you see a transcendent player that isn't a freak athlete as well. The nature of the game is such that, and because of that, and that mixed with the the rule changes, and and like I say, the celebrity culture in the United States and American business and advertising and all that has created the the brand. Right, every player has their own brand, and they got their social media, and they're so they are wrapped up, Brandon, in the century of the self. They are so wrapped up in themselves, and again, you need to get outside of that to really be a good teammate. Right, that's when you truly know what it is to be on a team is when you work for others, when when you would do for others more than what you would do for yourself. Right, selflessness. Moving on. That's the moral of, of, of the podcast today. <laughs> the moral of the podcast. Give someone uh, a hug. Come here, Greg. <laughs> um, so Get away from me. Get away from me. So we're talking about coach of the year, coming discussion, winding down to the end of the season. You know, Greg Popovich, in my opinion, is the, is the number one name that pops out to me right now. No pun intended. Um, you mean it's not Brad Stevens? <laughs> I think he's done a fantastic job with the Boston Celtics, but... The name that pops up to me, though, the most is Eric Spolstra. You know, a team that was 11-30 and 30 and right now is in playoff contention. Do you think a head coach of an organization that is below 500, because I think Miami most likely will finish around 40 and 42, still make the playoffs, maybe sneak in the eighth seed, do you think Spolstra deserves to be coach of the year? What about a guy like Jason Kidd, who, you know, Jabari Parker has gone for the season, and he's able to shift Chris Middleton in the four position and still have a pretty decent product jumping ahead of the Atlanta Hawks in the playoff race? As a number five seed. Yeah, I think there's a few coaches that need consideration. Greg Popovich, always, because his team operates like a, a fine-tuned machine. Um, of course, you mentioned um, uh, Jay Kidd, who, who is a basketball savant. I think he is one of the most underappreciated coaches in the NBA. I Love Jason. Well, he's young, right? He's young, right? Yeah, but and, I don't and, think. And I he's don't gonna. Think... He's gonna. It, no one wants to give that credit right off the bat. I'm not throwing all the credit to him, but what he's done with guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo, who many consider to be an All NBA team, whether it be the third team, the strides that he's made as a player this season, even looking at Jabari Parker. It's also well. how he's drafted. He's drafted very strategically. Milwaukee is a team of young, quick, long players. That's why they drafted Tom Naker, right? Your boy Malcolm Brogdon. <laughs> you know, you got to give it up for the Canadian talent, man. I looked him up after. He's doing good stuff. You're right. Tom Naker, the Canadian. Um, but and yeah, Spolstra. Obviously, the Heat have gone on a great run. Uh, look, how about this? Where where's the consideration for a man? whose team for four straight years has had a winning road record. Where's the consideration for a man who in back-to-back -back years... Dwayne Casey here. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm talking about Dwayne Casey. Back-to-back oh. -back years, 50 win teams. Right. He's had an injured Lowry. He's had an injured DeRozan. And look, do I think he is necessarily deserving this year? Maybe not. Right. But I want to hear... 
a little bit more uh, respect thrown the way of Dwayne Casey because the man has such a great disposition as a leader, right? I think he's just achieved the perfect balance with his stars. He has created a culture. He has, right? This team is made in his image and he has been steady, right? You talk about injuries to key players. That's what the Raptors have had to overcome. He's had new guys in. He's had to adjust. He was playing with friggin' Noguera, DeLon Wright. I'm surprised you weren't going out with Caboclo. 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 Whatever the hell his name is. Two years away from two years away. All right, guys. Uh, we are a little short on time. We, I know we promised you our top five least favorite Raptors of all time. We'll have to hold that for next week. Um, we'll also go into the merits of Dwayne Casey's coaching because I could sit here for uh, maybe another hour or so and break down why Dwayne Casey probably shouldn't be coach of the year. We'll pick this up. We're, we're running out of time. Um, but nonetheless, next week will be our official launch for our first podcast. Again, guys, thank you so much for listening. The official um, launch. The official launch. We'll have more information about our website. Right now it's torontobasketballmatters.wordpress.com um, but we'll be building an actual website for you guys we'll profile well. some uh some of joe vaughn's work absolutely bring in maybe a few coaches throughout the btb potentially a deal a deal saibzada the assistant coach for ryerson's men basketball team um and i also want to give a big shout out to our co-host mr gregory urashadis who won toronto soccer high school i don't know the verbiage of it but we gregory won. tell me what you accomplished i'm throwing it right to your face his face is going red right now oh someone's getting a little embarrassed my high school team won the uh indoor uh toronto soccer championship uh, if we do the same in outdoor we will go to the provincial championships this is the first time in uh school history that they've accomplished this feat and it is the oldest high school in toronto so shout out to my boys really really proud of those young men and with that, guys, we are out.